This podcast is sponsored by Luke1977. Use my discount code MAX20 to get yourself 20% off on almost anything over at Luke. Obviously, it's getting a little bit colder outside and Luke have just brought out the brand new Autumn 23 range and there's some absolute beauties in there. So if you fancy getting yourself a bargain and also supporting the channel, please go and use the code MAX20 over at Luke. Hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as ever, joined by Simon Lyon. Simon, how are you, mate? You all good? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Not too bad. We've had uh, an international break. We've both been away over the international break and uh, we had our Saturdays free, obviously, before the West Ham game. You had an interesting night, didn't you, at the old... Um, well, tell the people, what are you up to Saturday night? I went, to, yeah, I went, to, as you all know, um, I absolutely love Jurassic Park, so I went to see Jurassic Park in concert. So it sounds a bit weird, but basically it's... Jurassic Park's 30th anniversary this year, so uh, what it was, it was at the um, at Resorts World Arena at the NEC, um, and they had like basically the film on with with like a, a with like a live orchestra doing all the all the sound scores from the film. So yeah, it was pretty good. I was I was in my element. I was I was absolutely loving it. I love that. We're recording this on Monday night, and I was speaking to someone at work today, and I think they went to it as well. So they were saying how good it was as well. But yeah, that that sounds very interesting. It's weird having our Saturdays free, isn't it? Obviously, Phyllis seems to play. What well, every Sunday now? Weird to know what to do with your Saturdays, like because you've got mm. that free day. I just I just went to my local non-league side, Redditch, and they lost, which was a bit horrible. And then went to the pub, but it's weird having our Saturdays free. But I do kind of like it in a way. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure if I like it or not. I can't. I have, I haven't worked today yet. I'm not sure. Like all I know is though, <laughs> I was saying like yesterday, like you felt. It felt like an age um, since Villa played this time around. Like usually, like the international breaks go, you know, fairly quick. They're, they're not they're not too bad. But even though I was busy this international break, obviously went away for a couple of days and stuff. But um, I don't know. It feels like it felt like such a long time uh, since Villa had played before yesterday. So yeah, it just it just felt a bit weird. Yeah, it did a little bit. I know what you mean. And how horrible is a half four Sunday kickoff? I mean, that probably doesn't help. Yeah. What also doesn't we're literally the only game on that Sunday as well. How how horrible is that? Like why half four? Can you not just stick us on it too like the, the nights are getting earlier now like it was getting dark at Villa Park wasn't it it was just all a bit weird getting home late you've got one eye on work not a fan of half four kickoff on a Sunday definitely not no your, your weekend's like over isn't it by the time you've got home it's like you need to start preparing yourself for work the following day which uh, which is never which is never nice you want to come home and sort of you know, chill a bit and like react to like the match, don't you? Really, you don't want to have to prepare yourself for work straight away. But yeah, half four on a Sunday, especially when you're the only one. As you say, it's a it's a bit weird. Like if you had it two o'clock, it probably would have been a bit better. But oh well, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, imagine being a West Ham fan. That would have been terrible. Half four mm-hmm. away from home, hours away from home, getting absolutely smashed four one. Uh, could always be worse. But definitely in this podcast coming up, we will talk about obviously that another Villa victory at Villa Park, and also look forward to the next European adventure coming up in just a matter of days. If you do want to enjoy the podcast, please do leave a review on whatever you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Please do leave a review and subscribe on whatever you're listening on, so you never miss an episode. Please do check out Villa on Sort on YouTube as well. Go and check 
check out the West Ham video and subscribe over there as well because obviously the Alkmaar video coming out this week on the channel will be very, very good. So subscribe over there. How good was that win then? How good was that? 4-1. Our last win over West Ham was in 2015 with a Tom Cleverley winner of all people. Bit of a bogey side, aren't they? I mean, obviously a couple of weeks ago, our last game before the international break was Wolves. Absolutely, they're a bogey side. We didn't manage to get over the line against them. But West Ham, every time I've gone to like go to the London Stadium, I never went to Upton Park, which I'm good about, by the way, because that's just a proper stadium. I was on a West Ham preview before the game and we were talking about the stadium situation. But every time I've been there, it's 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 not great. They seem to batter us at Villa Park, that 4-1 in one of Dean Smith's last games. That, that sticks in the memory as well. So proper, proper bogey side. But Emery just has this sort of habit of extinguishing records, doesn't he? I mean, it says it all when he did it in literally his first game as, as Villa manager against Manchester United. They had a, um, a brilliant record at Villa Park. Hadn't, we hadn't beaten them at Villa Park for, what, 27, 28 years, whatever it was. He just loves breaking records, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Just smashes through records totally all the time. And uh, yeah, it's just fortress Villa Park, isn't it? It's like any any team that comes to Villa Park know they're going to be in for a, a tough game. You know, Villa mixing up the tactics for each and every game. And we always, we end up showing something different every single game. And uh, yeah, even though even though they're, they're sort of a bogey side, you sort of go into the game with so much confidence just because of how we've been for so long at Villa Park. And uh, it's just it's just such a nice feeling to have going into going into all these games in a positive frame of mind. And I said yesterday coming out, I said I genuinely, I genuinely, genuinely would back us to take take the game to anybody at Villa Park. I think our home form is that good. I'd fancy us against anybody. I genuinely mean that. Even 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 the real top teams, I'd, I'd genuinely would fancy us to give them a game. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. I think it's start of December, isn't it? We've got Man City on a Tuesday, is it? And then the following weekend, Arsenal come to Villa Park. So that's a real, real test. At the moment, obviously, you're probably beating the side. Well, I'll say that. Brighton, West Ham, the, the sides around you, sort of the sides that, in quotation marks, are, are trying to be sort of best of the rest. Like 6-1 against Brighton, 4-1 against West Ham. We're just palming these teams off. So you're right, bring on the bigger boys. And I'm just thinking, like, this is this is the best I've seen as a Villa fan, absolutely. And it's not, like, too early to say that. It's not a flash in the pan. This isn't a sort of extended new manager bounce. You see the stat every single week about most points in 2023 as the calendar year. Aston Villa are second, joint with Arsenal. Man City are top. We're joint second. Like, that's crazy. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, it's not a it's not a flash in the pan. It's definitely not a, a honeymoon period like, like like you say for a lot of managers. I mean, he's been here. It'll be a year next week since since he, since he took over. And um, and the fact is, is that we we we've, we've found a real level of consistency under Unai Emery. And I think that's been the buzzword around Villa Park for God as long as I can remember. You know, we need to find a, a level of consistency. We need if you want to if you want to really mix it with the big boys, you you've got to show a level of consistency. And since Unai Emery came, I mean, we're averaging two points a game, which which in in any usual season will 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 get you Champions League football. I know it's mm. you know you're looking across two seasons, so that so that's tough, but. It, the proof's in the pudding. We're literally averaging two points every single game, and I, I just, I just think the level of consistency shown by the players at the moment is, uh, it, it gives you confidence that we are going to be able to sort of mix it with the big boys, and it, it kind of gives you that confidence that, yeah, you know what, this season Villa are going to be up there for that top five, top six, and I, I think that's absolutely remarkable to say. I think especially dealing with some of the setbacks we've had with, with the injuries, you just mm. think like. We can just get through till Christmas time and still be in that sort of top five, top six with with the likes of you know Ramsey, Moreno coming back, um, possibly even like Buendia towards the end of the season. 
I, I genuinely think Villa have got a good a good chance on them at, at, at the moment this year. I think there's a, a feel good factor around the place, and um, and it's really it's just showing on the pitch in terms of the confidence that the players are exuding. And um, yeah, as, as you just said, it's one of the best times to be a Villa fan at the moment. And I think I said on Twitter after the game yesterday was that I don't think I don't think you'll enjoy many more eras at, the, at Villa Park than this current one. If I'm being honest, I mean mm. I've been following Villa since what late nineties. Um, and this is without a doubt the best period that the football club's had in its in in in, in its history since then. And so, yeah, it's just really really exciting. And uh, I'm absolutely buzzing to get down Villa Park every single week, every every single week these days. And well, that's a far cry from what it used to be years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And at the start of every new season, I'm always sceptical about, you know, how many games into the season do we really start to look at the table and when does it start to take shape? And you're always sort of looking at that that quarter mark, aren't you? Sort of nine, ten games, whatever it is. And we're at that stage at the moment. We're sitting fifth in the league. I think yesterday's victory was really important as well because you've got sort of Newcastle, Bryson, Manchester United improving just behind you. We've now sort of got that that little gap between us in fifth, Newcastle in sixth, with three points clear of them. I think yesterday's victory was just so crucial to keep up with the top four. And it's important to say we're recording this before, well, during uh, Tottenham versus Fulham. So we've got one eye on that. But just to sort of keep on the tail of that top four who are sort of breaking away and you expect them to be up there the whole season, to keep up with them at the quarter mark of the season, it's very impressive. Yeah, no, it is absolutely, and I think you're right. It's it's tough to gauge when you can start to get excited, but I think you're right. I think after you know at this period of the season, you know, at the end of sort of towards the end of October, moving into November, if you're you know sort of being consistent with your form and you're still up there, then I think you I think you're in for a pretty a pretty strong season. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I just love what Villa are doing at the moment. I love watching us as well. That's that's the other thing. I mean, I've, I've, mm. we, we saw we've seen so many things in the past about of uh, Emery's quite. Uh, I wouldn't say a negative manager, but people have said he's quite a you know a conservative manager. It's a bit defence first, and people have looked at you know when we've had that six at the back at times, and we've gone to away yeah. to grounds, and we've played that when we're sort of under the cosh. I think people have looked at that in isolation without looking at anything else. Looked at that in isolation and thought, oh, Emery's a, Emery's a negative manager. And I mean, Villa starts stacking up. The amount of goals we score, the amount of chances we create, how how many of the chances we finish. I mean, if anyone actually watches Villa and calls us a negative side or a conservative side, whatever they want to call us, then I'm afraid you're not watching. You're not watching the. The, the same game as what I am because I just think the football is just so so exciting we've got that we've got that way where we slow it down we sort of pass it in between our lines and then if we want to be really quick and direct we can do which showed with um, with Ollie Watkins's goal yesterday and I, yeah I just yeah. I just yeah I just think, I just think, I just think we've got a really good side at the moment I just think uh, there's quality running all the way through the squad, and I, and I don't think there's any sort of one standout star player anymore. Like you used to have like a yeah. Jack Grealish, and he was you know he was Villa's poster boy, and everything came through Jack Grealish. We don't have that anymore. We we just have real strong performers all throughout the eleven. Um, it's just a really likable squad, isn't it? As well, like you're watching it, and the the, the players are just really really likable. I just I, I think it's uh, I think Villa are in a really strong place at the moment. Um, just you know they've got everything right at the moment in terms of on the pitch and even like even like the staff that Emery surrounded himself with you know Munchie mm. and um, Damien Vidigani I read a really good article about him uh, during the international break with the Athletic I think it was and uh, yeah I just you know what I just think the Villa Villa have got this structure in place at the moment which is built for success and at the moment on the pitch 
that's exactly what Villa has shown. Yeah, he's definitely not a defence first manager. I mean, we don't seem to, that's the only thing I'd pick up on. We don't seem to keep a clean sheet. I mean, it was really unlucky yesterday um, with West Ham's goal. That's desperately unlucky. But we've blown these sides away. It'd be nice to keep, I mean, it ultimately doesn't really matter, but to keep a couple more clean sheets is probably something you'd, you'd probably ask for. But in terms of scoring goals, we said it in pre-season, didn't we? Like, you're not, you know, <laughs> not going to worry about Villa not scoring this season. Like, uh, Unai Emery doesn't do nil-nils, does he? We've scored 23 in the Premier League so far this season that's the second highest behind Newcastle I mean we gave them five goals at the start of the season so in terms of scoring goals it's absolutely incredible and like I said losing 5-1 on the opening day and then what eight games later to have a goal difference of plus 10 it's 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 an incredible turnaround isn't it and you're sort of getting this consistency now you've got them dodgy results out the way it'd be interesting now to, to welcome the big boys to Villa Park to see how far we've come Tottenham Liverpool Arsenal that week where we've got Man City and Arsenal it's a great barometer isn't it and I say bring it on yeah and, and, I, and I genuinely think we're, we're still trying to bed in as well I, I don't think we're the finished product at all I think you look at the likes of um, I think we've spoke about it in recent weeks, but the likes of Paris Torres and Zaniolo. And I saw, again, an article, I think it was in the Times, with Tielemans um, last week. I've clearly been doing a lot of reading during the, during the international break because <laughs> I've been so bored or something. But no, I saw an interview with Tielemans and he was talking about how even he's like struggled to get you know get used to how Emery you know, wants us to play football. He's, mm. His demands that, that, that he's got on the midfielders. So I, I still think we're trying to bed in. I, I don't think we're the finished article. And I just think... You know, when we do get these players back, I, I I think I said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I genuinely think that we'll be even stronger the second half of the season. And that's mm. kind of frightening when you watch how we're doing at the moment. It's like, just, you know, we're blowing teams away and teams who are like strong teams as well. It's not like it's not like yeah. they're battling relegation, these teams that, that we have beaten recently. And okay, we've got Man City and Arsenal coming up in, in you know, within the next couple of months. But you know, you look even you look back to towards the end of last season. It was you know Newcastle, Tottenham, Brighton, and then this season again, Brighton. You know West Ham now, and it, these are all these are all top sides, like sides that mm. are in and around us, and sides that essentially have probably had a massive head start on Villa in the last few years or so because of because of how how, how poorly we've been doing, and so for us to be where we are is just incredible. Yeah, I think it's a good week for reflection as well. Obviously, Unai Emery's been at Villa one year on Tuesday, which is the day that this podcast comes out. And I just remember getting the notification of, of Villa appointing him. Um, I was at Redditch United watching a game there and I was excited when that news came through, but I don't think I was like absolutely blown away, like as if we'd got like a Pochettino who was linked. I would have been more blown away at that, but... I mean, he's proved me wrong there. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I was excited, but the job he has done. And I'll just take us back to that night at Fulham just over a year ago. Toxic. It was absolutely laughable that night. And ultimately, it was sad because we were saying, we've talked about that night so many times and how we didn't really care, stood in that away end. And we came out laughing about how crap we were. And it was just so, so embarrassing. That was just over a year ago. And we're talking about an Aston Villa side now. He's won 11 games in a row at Villa Park. That's just absolutely unprecedented. And just just reflecting on where we were a year ago, it's crazy. No, it absolutely is. It absolutely is crazy. And I think... um... You're right, when you were stood there last last season. I can't believe you said last season. It feels like that long ago now. But when you when you were stood there, you were right at Craven Cottage a year ago last season. And um, yeah, we were, we were absolutely terrible that night. One of the worst performances I think I've ever seen from a Villa side. And um, it was kind of like, I don't know, I've never ever felt like this. I've never ever felt like it. But it was kind of like, you didn't mind losing that night because... Gerard, you knew if we lost, Gerard was gone. And that sounds terrible to say that as a Villa fan. Like I've never ever said that before. But 
that's how genuine it was that night. I don't think any, I think everyone was sort of past the point of really caring. Everyone knew his time was up. Mm. It was just gonna it was just gonna take that one more bad result to do it, and that's what happened that night. But I think from where Unai Emery walked in and where he's taken us since then has been nothing short of remarkable. And uh, don't get me wrong, I think we've got a, I think we've got a good side, and we had a, we had a good side then, and that's why Stephen Gerrard was under pressure because we had a good side and we were struggling. Yeah. Um, but he's still overachieved massively. I think I, I genuinely believe that, and I, I think from from where he, from where we were to where we are today, I think Unai Emery's done an absolutely incredible job. And I, and I think you're right at the time when we appointed him, it was kind of like. I don't know how you were you were meant to feel really because obviously we weren't really linked mm. to him were we and then all of a sudden we just appointed him um, there hadn't been any much speculation before the day we actually appointed him um, mm. and you're right I think everyone was sort of at the time everyone was calling for like a Pochettino or a Thomas Tuchel if I remember correctly and that those were the names that everyone was banding around to get excited about. Um, but I think when you talk, you know, you see a lot of people talk about what makes like a manager elite, and like I think we've seen some people talk about how Pochettino is elite and whatever. But I think when you when you put them head to head in terms of like what Unai Emery's actually like won in the game um, and the experience he's got, it's it's it, there is there's no comparison. There's absolutely no comparison. And so, and I think more importantly than that as well, he's an absolute terrific manager. But He's also such a good fit for the football club as well, and I think yes. and I think that's important. I think sometimes you can have managers which you know that you know they're decent managers, but they don't quite they don't quite get the club or they don't quite integrate themselves well enough into the club. Now Unai Emery is totally different than that. He's he's bought into everything that Aston Villa demands of him, and um, you know he's you know he's like twenty four hours a day thinking of the fo- of football and Aston Villa. And again, there was an interview with Emery, wasn't there, over the international break where he was talking about how. 70-80% of your life needs to be football when you're a manager even when you're outside of, of being at Bodymore Heath and outside of games you need to be analysing and thinking about football and that's what Unai Emery is and I think to be honest with you that's what Villa that's what that's what Villa fans sort of demand sometimes and that's what and that's what, what as a club it feels like we need and I just think it was like a marriage made in heaven to be honest I think he he's cut, he came in He's, let's be honest he's been given the freedom of Villa Park he's been you know whatever Unai Emery says it happens essentially, and um, so he's been given a lot of faith and a lot of power by, by, by the owners, which he'll absolutely love. I don't think he'll have had that at any other club he's been at before. Um, but in return, Villa are getting, are getting the reward of being so so good on the field, and Emery's building this sort of structure around him, which hopefully is is, is taking us on the path to be that sort of top four, top five club back in the Premier League winning trophies and uh, what a difference a year makes. I just I just think it's remarkable. I think it's great for Villa but I also think it's great for Unai Emery the man as well because of what he's been through in England previously at Arsenal where you look at it and he actually didn't do that bad at Arsenal at all mm. and how, how he was treated by the media because he didn't speak perfect English at the time and he said good evening in a, in a strange way to some people at the start of every interview and he was sort of laughed out of the country in a way. Arsenal was always going to be a toxic place to go I say that every time I talk about Unai Emery anyone following Arsene Wenger going into that job was going to find it hard they were so demanding it was toxic at the time like I said he didn't even do that bad of a job and he got laughed out of the country he proved himself again in Spain at Villarreal getting them to a Champions League semi-final 
And I think he's come back to England and come back to a club that suits him so well. Like you said, it just seems like an absolutely perfect fit. And I say this with it genuinely seriously. I think we're Champions League contenders now. I'm not sure, quite sure how the fifth works, um, fifth place in the Premier League getting Champions League football with the coefficient. I'd have to do a little bit more research. I'm not sure if you're more clued up on that. Yeah. I genuinely think we're, we're contenders for that that top five 100% this season. Yeah, so do I. I think, look, I think it depends on a few things. It depends on how we how we manage Obviously, our European competition. I think it depends on mm. the players staying fit. We haven't got a massive squad when we've got Mings and Brendia and Ramsey and Moreno at the moment. Depends on injuries as well. So I think it's a tough ask. I think it's a real tough ask because um, obviously we've got we you know we we're, we're battling on a European front, unlike Spurs, unlike Chelsea, etc. So I do think that's tough. Um, in terms of the coefficient, uh, basically it it sort of relies on the English teams this season in, in Europe, that whether that's Champions League, Europa League or Conf- and Conference mm. League, all doing pretty well. I mean, at the start of the season, I've, I read something, it was something like a 80-odd percent 80 odd percent chance that the uh, that that the the place will go to the fifth uh, the, the the fifth place team in in England the Champions League place um, and so it's still likely to happen. I know I know Man United haven't started brilliantly in the Champions League, which is what you know you you, you probably could have done with that happening. But when you look at the likes of Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Liverpool in the Europa League, Arsenal in the Champions League, obviously um, mm. even the likes of West Ham doing pretty well. You'd like to think Villa will get through. Um, even Brighton might after they got their sort of cut comeback draw at Marseille the other week. So the likelihood is is that that the Champions League players will go down to fifth this year, which um, would be absolutely unbelievable, really. But yeah, I think you know what I think Villa are in the mix. I think look, it's a tough ask, and there's a lot of there's a lot of good clubs who will also be vying for it, um, and it's a long season. Um, but how we play football um, and and how we've been in the years uh, the year to date since Emery joined, why not? Yeah, absolutely, and I think we've, we can't get ahead of ourselves. But I, I think it's 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 only right to sort of have Villa in that conversation. Chelsea will get better. Manchester United will get better, and you've still got Newcastle, Brighton, West Ham chasing Villa as well. Um, so it's going to be tough, but we'll see on that one. Let's actually talk about the game then. I mean, we're twenty minutes into the podcast here, we haven't even really mentioned West Ham yet. So we'll talk about that. I expected a tough afternoon. I really did. Like I said, I always think about records and times I've previously watched sides. West Ham coming to Villa Park. That I talked about the four one, but the nil nil springs to mind as well. You know, when we just got promoted, that was a really, really frustrating night. I think they were down to ten men as well, and we just made that really, really hard for ourselves. So I expected a tough game, and they're a strong side, aren't they? West Ham. You go through the individuals. They've got it's quite a tall team, strong team. Ward Prowse in a slightly new role this season, a slightly a little bit deeper, and obviously they pose a really serious threat from set pieces as well. I expected a tough game um, in terms of the team news as well. Jared Bowen's a great player. I expected maybe Bailey to come in I don't know maybe he's, he's a little bit smaller and trickier than Zaniolo obviously whatever's been going on with Zaniolo over the international break as well but Villa unchanged Cash comes back doesn't he Conza back to the middle as as you'd expect really I expected that Carlos coming out for Zaniolo yeah I think some people were saying that they maybe expected Carlos to, to, to stay in because of his uh, sort of you know aerial sort of defensive capabilities but I think it would have been a bit probably not not negative, but a bit more defensive if we'd have done that with, with Cash in midfield this, this time round. And so, uh, I wasn't surprised to see us, you know, go back to bringing either Zaniolo or Bailey. And I think Zaniolo came in essentially probably because obviously he had his height as well. You know, he's one of the tall lads, and even in the Villa squad, yeah. we, we haven't got many of them. And so he he would have been you know sort of valuable off the set pieces, which Villa defended really really well by the way yesterday. Um, and so yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't too too surprised to, to to see him come in, and 
No, it's quite um, it's quite a sort of a, a vote of faith in Zaniolo, really, isn't it? From Emery as well, like you know, he's had a tough couple of weeks, and uh, that process is ongoing. It sounds, it sounds like, it, well, from from what it sounds like, it sounds like he's going to get a fine and a slap on the wrist. It sounds like it doesn't sound like sound like he's bet on any sporting activity, which obviously is, is, is good to see and, 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 you know, and, and good for us as well. So I, I like that. I quite like that from Emery. It was a, it was, was a show, like a, a show of faith from him to start Zaniolo. Um, yeah. And, 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 yeah, and I think, I think he got it spot on. I think in terms of West Ham, I think you're right. I think they're, they're a, a good, a good side, a, a very sort of, what's the word? Like a, like a resolute side. Usually, usually, usually quite good at the back. I don't think they're that easy on the eye. I think David Moyes has got a way of playing. It's quite, it is quite pragmatic, and I think West Ham fans will say that. Don't be wrong; it's got them results, and it's got them results in the past. You know, they won the Conference League last season doing it, but they're not easy on the eye, are they? They're not brilliant to watch, and even though they've got some very good attacking players, it, it's sometimes very direct and very sort of like hoof ball, isn't it? At times, and um, yeah, I just, I just didn't think they were a great watch, if I'm being honest. But yeah, I expected a tough game. I think Moyes has built a good squad there and and, and they are, you know, fairly successful at what they do. So and um yeah and, and also they started the season really well. So I, I expected a, 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 a tough game to be honest, yeah. Do you reckon the sort of thing he has going on with Cash playing further forward and Cons are playing that centre back right back role and Carlos coming into the middle? That's more it feels like to me anyway, that's more of a thing he's likely to do in an away game. I think you're probably rarely going to see that at Villa Park this season. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I, I think, yeah, I, I think a lot. I think a lot of the time when we do it, I think it would be to counteract what the opposition have got as well. So against Wolves, it was mm. to counteract what Pedro Neto was uh, obviously bringing to the yeah. table. Um, against Burnley earlier on in the season, I think it was more more down to the fact that we had injuries and we didn't have many other players available to be honest and that's why it happened there but I think if you do see it, it'll be I think it'll be purely I think it'll be purely because we're trying to counteract what the opposition try and do and so that's why we're doubling up on that side and obviously McGinn shifts to the other side to help out Luca Dean over on that side so yeah you're probably right though you probably will be mainly away games um, but yeah I was pleased to see go back to what it was yesterday I quite I do quite like that system. I quite, I quite like. I'm liking the the partnership Conza and Torres have got together, and I think Matty Cash and Luca Dean, to be fair, have been absolutely brilliant this season so far. So, yeah, I was pleased to see it go back to that. Yeah, we started off a little bit slowly in the game, didn't we? I think Bowen had a chance where Martinez made a very good save. I mean, it was offside in the end. Cash does well to step up. But I think apart from that, Villa seemed very up for it in that first half. I think Louise had a curling effort, didn't he? Which was a great save. It was sort of really, really going in that top corner. It's a good save from Ariola. Um, another huge chance for Villa as well. Diaby into Watkins. It's a great first touch, but he just drags it, doesn't he? I think he's absolutely sent Kurt Zuma, but he just drags it. And it's annoying because it's. I think he probably has more time than he, uh, he, he realises Ollie Watkins he's got to put that away and you'd probably expect him to the form he's in oh yeah do you know what it was that, that was a great sort of little move though. I mean the, the ball into him was absolutely pinpoint from Diaby and, and how, he, how he took it down was absolutely brilliant Watkins how he like stopped that ball dead was incredible and yeah you know what it was one, it was one of them wasn't it it was kind of like an inst- it would, would have been like an instinct finish if he'd have scored it I think I liked what Ollie Watkins was saying post-match though how he was saying like Previously in his career, if he'd have, if he'd have missed a chance like that, it would have he'd have dwelled on it throughout the rest of the game and been annoyed at himself. But he didn't do that, did he? He just got his head down and carried on working, which which we know Ollie Watkins does, and then he contributes to to the to the next um, you know the, the first goal of the game, and then he gets he gets on the score sheet himself later later on in the game. So yeah, full credit to him. But um, yeah, in terms of the start, yeah, I think we I think we rode the storm a little bit. 
um, very early on in the first couple of minutes or so. But I think when Villa got on the ball, I think when Villa got the foot on the ball, that's when you know you knew that, that we were going to start sort of finding our rhythm of play. And it's always when Villa get the foot on the ball, and it's that confidence of being mm. that possession-based football side, which we are under Emery. And you know the chances will start flowing from that point, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, absolutely. We were moving the ball well in that first half. McGinn seemed up for it as well. And you know, it's always in the midfield, isn't it? You know, when McGinn starts well, Louise starts well, Kamara bossing it as well. You know, you're going to have a good game. Villa do go 1-0 up in the end. Then it's patient sort of interplay, isn't it, from Zaniolo and Watkins on that left-hand side. Zaniolo shifts it uh, with that bit of acceleration, lays it to Watkins. Good awareness to lay off for Louise. It's probably not the best effort in the world. I said in the video, what a finish. But I don't know if it was. I think it takes a, a slight deflection off their centre half and it probably throws Ariola off a little bit. Maybe he's a bit unsighted. But you've got to look at the goalkeeper there. It's great to see Louise score his sick, uh, sixth goal in six home games. But probably question marks on the goalkeeper there. Yeah, I, I, I like I like again. I like the move though. I thought Zaniola and Watkins linked up really well over on that side. Mm. I thought it was really good play from them pair. Um, and then Douglas Louise arriving on the edge of the area. That's what. That's where Douglas Louise is so good, and that's where he's been so good for the last sort of six, six to eight months. Sort of thing. He's 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 really good in that, and it just feels like he's always going to score, doesn't he? What um, Louise, yeah. especially at Villa Park, and that's what he's doing at the moment. And um, yeah, yeah. What probably wasn't it probably wasn't the best strike to be fair. Like you say. It took a nick off off the centre half's heel, and then Ariola got a touch to it as well. But I think I think the deflection. Well, I think it made it too too much for the keeper. He he, he probably should have done better um, if we'd been honest. But yeah, it was just yeah, it was so good to see that goal go in. It was it was maybe a little bit of a relief because I suppose because West Ham had started all right in that for opening mm. opening few minutes. I suppose it was like oh few, you know, we've actually we've 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 took the lead kind of thing and. Uh, yeah, no, it felt good. Yeah, I say just get it on target, and you never know what can happen. I think the only well, we have, yeah, we had a couple of chances in that first half, didn't we? The one thing I wanted to mention as well, the VAR check, um, where the handball wasn't it? West Ham attacking, I can't quite remember. I think it was on a set piece as well. VAR stops the game to check for handball. Yet James Ward-Prowse decides to have a free kick that's about four or five yards outside the penalty area. So if they're checking for that uh, amount of time to see if it's inside or outside the area, why is James Ward-Prowse being allowed to take the free? it five yards away from the penalty box that was really bizarre and it, I mean the linesman wound me up yesterday it's that thing where they just it goes out and the linesman and the referee look at each other and they just don't want to make a decision it really really does my head in and that was another one yesterday where the referee just doesn't really seem to be aware of what's going on yeah, well yeah Ward, Ward Prowse is just allowed to take the, the free kick from where he wants and people say well he's moved it back but from that position moving it back gains you like an advantage doesn't it um, yeah, you know yeah. you're able to you know, get more sort of um, you know up and over the wall kind of thing, which which is what's tough from that area. It's just ridiculous. I mean, if you knew, the referee knew that's what they were checking, they were checking for a penalty. So how could he possibly allow Ward Pro to take to take the free kick from that position? Like, I just you know, I just it baffles me. Refereeing decisions like there's no logic or there's no there's no sense in it to me. Like every single week I talk about it and I just wonder like what the referees are doing. I really do and don't understand what what on earth are that they're playing at. Like like that is is the basics and it's not even like a terrible decision. It's not like we're debating like a really technical decision. It's like it's literally the basics. It's like anger. Where did the mm. foul happen and 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 why is he taking it from there? You've got one of the best free kick takers in the world just being able to do what he wants because the referee's asleep. Mm. I mean, we were talking, weren't we, during the um, Everton and Liverpool game and Ashley Young gets sent off and then is it Canate that doesn't get a second yellow for like a similar thing to Ashley Young's mm. first yellow card? And it's like, I said this last week or the week before, whenever it was, well, it seems like every week, nobody knows what a yellow card yeah. is these days. Like, 
because the rules are ever changing and, and referees are so inconsistent, we don't know. And the referees themselves don't really seem to know what they're doing. And it's just frustrating. Week in, week out, you're getting different decisions for the, the same sort of thing. It's just annoying, isn't it? Yeah, and that one with Canate, you know, it happens. And then the referee watches Jurgen Klopp take him off about 20 seconds after. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you you think, well, what's going through the referee's mind now? Like, like he knows he hasn't sent him off. And now he knows exactly why Jurgen Klopp is taking him off. And then he goes over to, like, give Sean Dyche a yellow card. And you're thinking, like... What what's going oh, through what is going through your mind like to 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 make that decision like I just it really does baffle me and and that's the thing like look the thing with the Ashley Young one for in the Liverpool Everton game is that you know by the rule book both of the fouls were yellow cards we know that but it's a derby game I mean the the the, the, the thing was that first one okay he booked him and 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 by the letter of the law it was the yellow card. The, the the thing that Ashley was stupid on was that second foul. I to, I totally totally agree. That one was definitely a yellow card. But the fact is, if that was the other way around though, and and that first foul had been the second foul, Ashley wouldn't have been sent off for that. And that's and that's what aggravates me. There's no sort of consistency, and no one really knows what a yellow card is anymore. I was saying to you, like the same punishment for kicking the ball four yards away is the same punishment for mm. a professional foul when you hack someone down when, when they're sort of through on goal. Like, it doesn't make any sort of sense to me. And I I just I just. Feel think they've made it just really confusing and now there's no consistency there's no consistency in the same game so there's never going to be consistency across the league is there I mean this made me laugh did you see the uh, journalist uh, ask Jürgen Klopp after the game if uh, he was going to ask for a replay that really made me laugh I don't I don't think that was real though was it not oh have I been played there I don't <laughs> yeah I don't think that was real I don't I don't I've, I've, I looked at that and uh, I saw some of the comments I'm fairly sure that wasn't real um, oh, that would have been brilliant. I've been proper mugged off there. Oh, shocking. But that journalist wouldn't have, wouldn't have had the time of day if he said that, though. He'd, he'd have been banned from Anfield forevermore. Why? Why, though? Is that not a reasonable question? After what happened in the in the Tottenham-Liverpool game, is that not reasonable? Is. Why not? Yeah, it is. But you know what, yeah, but you know what it's like, though? These <laughs> journalists can't ask difficult questions because if they do, they get punished. It's ridiculous. No, that's fair enough. And when Ashley Young was just on a yellow card, I went on. Um, I put a bet on that he gets sent off, so I was actually yeah. quite buzzing that he got uh, a second yellow card. So I won a nice little sixty quid on Saturday, which was nice. We'll talk about Villa's penalty then. Uh, Stonewall, isn't it? I mean, it's. I think Paqueta is it that plays the ball back to uh, who was it? Alvarez. I think it's a bit silly, isn't it? I mean, he puts him in a little bit of danger, and it's a Stonewall penalty, absolutely. And I only realised when I watched the goal back that it was Ezri Conser still up there. I think it was just from a Villa corner, wasn't yeah. it? So Ezri Conser. Just before we get into the penalty, I want to talk about Ezri Conser because. Louise obviously probably gets man of the match he got a brace of course but Esri Konza for me absolutely unbelievable I'd give man of the match to him I would honestly he's just so so good he dealt with look I don't think Antonio is the player he was and I was expecting more from him I really was he was very disappointing for West Ham but Konza just mops everything up and playing next to Mings you probably expect it from him we know how good Esri Konza is but next to Pau Torres he sort of guided him through he seems to just just look after Pau Torres in this sort of you know, difficult early stages for him coming to a new country, new team, pace of the Premier League, whatever, all the cliches. But Ezri Kanza just week in, week out, makes it look easy, doesn't it? Yeah, do you know what? He's Rolls Royce, isn't he? He's absolutely Rolls Royce, and I think he's in the form of his life at the moment. I, I mean, he's he's been in this sort of shadow of Tyra Mings really the last few years in terms of Mings as that to mm. sort of lead and and sort of guide him through matches essentially. And I suppose he's been used to that. And it's a partnership that's worked really well. There's no criticism of Ezri Kanza. Like it's a partnership that's worked really well. Um, but obviously Mings is 
Torres's absence, especially in the opening few weeks, Conza really had to guide sort of Torres through it. And I find it interesting actually because I, I, I think I think I've watched that evolve sort of thing from like my seat in the north stand. Obviously, how, how you know it's at the front of the north stand upper, and you're fairly mm. close to the pitch, and you can sort of see like the like the the goings on of, on the pitch and towards the start of the season like Conza really was that sort of leading figure in that bat line um, and like Torres was like the more quiet one but then as you see like the weeks have progressed and I noticed that yesterday especially like Torres all of a sudden he's really really vocal though like telling midfielders where to where to go and organising that line and, and so like all, all of a sudden at the back it's kind of like we've got sort of two leaders at the back now with Torres and Conza yeah. Um, and yeah I just I just, I think that partnership is blossoming I really really do um, but yeah like on, on Conza I just I don't know how the bloke hasn't had an England call up I just he's absolutely Rolls Royce um, and yeah he's again so consistent he's so quick so good on the ball mm. he's just at the moment he's just real real top level isn't he yeah it's all the little things as well like when Antonio's closing him down he just does like a nice little body feint to send him and it looks yeah. like he's going to pass the ball back to Martinez and he just drops the shoulder and turns on it just makes it look so easy and just that defence as well I mean when Mings got injured we, we worried a little bit and I think that was fair enough it was justified but again Luca Dean and Matty Cash have absolutely stepped up they really have Matty Cash who in particular found it difficult when Unai Emery first came in remember Unai Emery going mental on the sidelines mm. right next to Matty Cash because couldn't quite do what Unai Emery was asking and you know what not everyone it's not going to click for everyone straight away a new manager coming in it's not that you can't expect that but Matty Cash has, has been absolutely excellent this season again as probably an, an unsung hero because we always talk about the the attacking players but as we can sir Matty Cash even Torres Luca Dean fantastic yesterday again yeah yeah you're right I mean I said to you the other day I thought I think Cash has been outstanding this season and yeah like he, he again he's another one who will who will say that he struggled to get to grips with it when uh, Emery came in and you know for large parts last season he was sort of kept out by Ashley Young but yeah he's he's been he's been superb superb this season and then yeah word of mention word mention for Luca Dean because you know Moreno had done so well at the back end of last season and uh it looked like in the summer, like he was probably on his way out, Luca Dean. But yeah, there he mm. is, and he's really just turned it around, really. And and he's been absolutely brilliant as well in that back line. And so yeah, Villa's back line at the moment is functioning really, really well. And you're right. I think early on in the season, I I I was worried. I genuinely was. I thought uh, watching how watching how much of a leader Mings what Mings is, sorry, and losing that. I think I I, I was concerned genuinely. But uh, but yeah, I, I give full credit to the defense because. Um, yeah, they're, they're performing again at a real sort of high level and not just defensively carrying the ball out. I mean, Torres's sort of progressive balls are absolutely brilliant at times. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just it's given us a sort of another sort of, um, you know, a trickle pass sleeve essentially. And so, yeah, really, really happy with how the defence is performing. I feel like we could sort of make this podcast about five hours long by just talking about each individual player and just spending like half an hour on them and just yeah. talking about how brilliant they've been. Because again, the penalty, Louise gets his brace and again, he's just the absolute conductor in that midfield. He was so, so good yesterday. And what what more do you say about Douglas Louise? Like he's become rapidly one of Villa's best players, if not our best outfield player. And I've given him criticism because... He probably deserved it early on in his career. I mean, he was thrown under the bus a little bit. It was always going to be hard, wasn't it? Playing on his own in that sixth position in a pretty poor side in the Premier League. That was always going to be really hard. But he's got that support of Kamara next to him now. He's he's found that position. He's scoring goals when he's not really a sort of 
you don't expect that. He's not exactly an attacking midfielder, isn't he? But sort of revelation. And Austin McPhee deserves a lot of credit as well from uh, giving Louis corners and a revelation from the penalty spot as well. It just never, ever seems to be in doubt. But Louise, week in, week out, star man. Unbelievable. Yeah, and he's another one that's really grown into his position. And I think, you know, you look back and we've got to be patient with Louise. You know, he came in at a very young age playing Premier League football and it was a bit of a baptism of fire for him. But I look at him mm. as well and I think he's like a leader as well now they're in that Villa side like you look at him and he's really grown into that sort of leader type figure and um, well he's just he's just he's again he's another Rolls Royce type of player and um, again a vital cog in that Villa team and I think the one thing I do find really interesting was how like under Gerrard and even before that we were saying the midfield was the problematic area then Emery's come yeah. in and made it just look so simple and the, the other thing like you noticed yesterday was how like when we were in possession Kamara sort of dropped into a back three allowing like Matty Cash to sort of bomb on and make it like a kind of a 3-5-2 at times wasn't it um, but then as soon as Villa sort of uh, have lost the ball then Kamara moves back into that defensive midfield spot alongside Louise and uh, yeah, that that midfield again just working extremely well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And Villa make it two 0 and I was saying to Owen next to me in the whole end that is that game over? But <laughs> five minutes later, Jared Bowen gets a, a pretty lucky goal, isn't it? I mean, if that gets no deflection, there's absolutely no danger at all. And when we made it two 0 I probably didn't worry too much about West Ham getting back into it because they hadn't really created anything all day. Martinez hadn't really had to make too many saves. I think Paqueta had one in the first half where he made a meal of it, making a, an over head kick when he didn't need to um, but yeah they, they get that goal and they have a sort of what 5-10 minute spell after um, I think Antonio gets the better of, of Torres and flashes one across the face of goal but nothing really serious and we've come to expect that from Villa because so many Villa sides of the past would have conceded one at 2-0 up and, and sort of the momentum would have would have switched massively and we would have welcomed pressure and inevitably it would have been 2-2 maybe even 3-2 that, that Wolves game at home springs to mind but you just just never in doubt with this with this Unai Emery Villa side. Like you, you concede one, but the mentality is spot on. We switch on and go up the other end and score, which is what we did. Yeah, I think we rode it out really well. They had a they had a series of corners straight after that, and uh, I thought we defended really really well. Ollie Watkins with one brilliant sort of clearance off the line. Ezra Cons with another one. Um, I thought we did really well defensively at that point. Um, and as you say, if we went and got another one, you knew it was then going to be game over. And that's exactly what we did. And obviously, Torres, we're probably a little bit fortunate. Torres plays a ball which wasn't the greatest. And um, and and was it Kudus, wasn't it? Was it Kudus? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He Obviously, he misplaces the control and it goes straight to John McGinn. But then from there on, it's excellent, isn't it? John McGinn with an absolute pinpoint perfect ball for Ali Watkins. And then he just runs Kurt Zuma ragged and left-footed finish straight into the top of the net and Ariola doesn't even move does he and it was a top top class finish and a top class goal and at that point you're thinking yep game over now unreal absolutely unreal and that ball gets put over the top and you see sort of Watkins just on that left hand side just left of centre one on one with the defender and I say in the video like that's that's Ollie Watkins bread and butter absolutely yeah, like yeah. he had a couple in that Brighton game didn't he where he comes in but we say he comes in but he can also go out he, he, he does that step over and shifts it onto his left foot he makes Kurt Zuma look silly which I really enjoy because I think Kurt Zuma is a bit of a scumbag yeah. what a finish that was absolutely unreal finish and I don't know what it looked like from where you were but from where I 
I was sat and I was speaking to someone who sat in the Trinity as well. I didn't know if it went in. I didn't know if it went in. Like it sort of fell into the back of the net and I didn't know if it had gone sort of side netting or what. It was weird. I, I sort of waited so long and then celebrated. Strange. Yeah, no, I did. I, I kind of thought you hit the side netting, but I love that goal. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It actually reminded me of, you know, the famous uh, Ryan Giggs goal for Man U against Arsenal at, at yeah. Villa Park. At Villa Park. It reminded, yeah. it reminded, in that goal as well, it actually reminded, it reminded me of that. Like it, it different in some ways, but it was just the way it hit the net, hit, hit the roof of the net. It just reminded me of that goal. And uh, yeah, Ollie Watkins just showing how much he's improved. As you say, he can go inside, he can go outside, right foot, left foot, head. He's got it all, Ollie Watkins. And yeah, the bloke's on absolute fire at the moment. Mate, he's so sharp, so, so sharp. And I'll read out the sort of updated stats every single week on the podcast because it's so good. 27 goal involvements in 33 games under Unai Emery. It's it's unbelievable. And he saw, in that first half especially, he sort of had a semi-quietish game, but then he pops up with a goal and assist. It's just his involvements, his goal involvements, is absolutely incredible. Match of the day, put up a stat um, after the game with chances created, Diaby Watkins, 17. And then you've got Nunes and Salah below that with 11, Eze, Edward with 10, Haaland and Alvarez with 10, Diaby and Watkins to be so clear of those guys with 17 between them. Like they've just gelled so much. Diaby's a new signing, by the way. Yeah. We said it when he first came in. Diaby comes in and doesn't look like a new signing. He looks like he's been in this villa side for years and he's gelled with Watkins. He's gelled with everybody around him. He's sort of everybody who maybe doesn't watch Villa would expect him to. Uh, Diaby to be this winger but he's playing right up alongside Ollie Watkins and it's the perfect role isn't it those two are on absolute fire yeah they've struck up a great partnership and I think the thing with Diaby he's very unselfish as well he does so much running for the team and as you say full credit to the manager because he came in and everyone was expecting him to be a winger he's never been a second striker he's never been a striker before Musa Diaby but there he is for Villa and I am replaced his faith in him and yeah, him, 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 and his and Watkins partnership is absolutely extraordinary. So, yeah, Diaby's a top, top class player, and you, you can just see he's got that, he's got that quality about him. He's got pace. He can counter attack. He's got that pinpoint sort of passing, as we saw when he set Watkins up in the first half. He drags defenders away, great space. He's got a good cross on him as well. He's got a powerful shot. Again, he's a really, really good player, and I think the perfect, the perfect sort of foil for Ali Watkins. We've played nine Premier League games this season, and in five of them, we've scored three or more goals. That's that's so good. We are so fun to watch. Yeah. And like you said earlier, you cannot wait to get to Villa Park. You cannot wait to go and watch Villa because you just know we're going to be so fun to watch, especially at Villa Park. It's just a joy, isn't it? Absolute joy. Yeah, and that's it. And you and you, you kind of come to expect it, which is a little bit dangerous, but you kind of come to expect <laughs> it. And um, I just, yeah, it looks like Villa are going to score every time they sort of come forward, doesn't it? And that, yeah, yeah. And it's just the players just, they look bang up for it, don't they? There's no one sort of, that's the thing with the, like the Villa team these days. There's no one sort of milling around thinking, oh, he's had a bit of a you know half ass game. He hasn't really been interested. Mm. Like everyone's at it full pelt, aren't they? Really, from like minute one to minute ninety. There's it's it's very rare. You're watching, you think, oh god, he's been terrible today. Or it's very very mm. rare that happens. And I, it's because Unai Emery won't tolerate that. He won't tolerate it. If you do that, then you're out of the team essentially. You get hooked at half time. Uh, it, it feels it. You know what? You're right. It feels like we can be talking about it for like five six hours easily. Like how good we are. And that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds cocky as well, but it's genuinely not, though. Like, if you're watching Villa, like you'll genuinely realise how good we actually are at the moment. And we just don't stop either, do we? Like, we make it 3-1, and we could easily just sort of pass it and just sort of take the sting out of the game and just chill out a bit. But it's two substitutes that combine. Tielemans into Bailey. I don't think it's the, the best defending at all by West Ham, because Bailey does well to him. He finds that bit of space in between about three West Ham defenders. He takes the ball, and that 
sort of shift to get it on his left foot is absolutely brilliant. He absolutely sells the defender. And I think this is probably my favourite goal of the afternoon. And the finish as well. Sort of movement to get it onto his left foot. And then the finish. Oh, it's just absolutely spot on. And I just... I really like Leon Bailey, I do, and his stats are great, and he hasn't played a lot of football this season, but to come on, and he looked really, really bright when he came on, and that goal, he deserved it, it was such a nice goal. Yeah, he's, he's doing well off the bench at the moment, isn't he, and it's probably not where Bailey wants to be off the bench, but he's like the super sub at the moment, and like his stats are right up there, you know, like his stats are right up there again, Like he's, he's doing really well, and it was all in the movement of his hips, wasn't it, with that goal, it was just that little shimmy of his hips, and... Yeah, and you knew as soon as he got inside, you knew it was going to be a goal. You absolutely knew. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a good ball from Tillemans, to be fair to him. I know he's had a little bit of stick and a little bit of criticism, but it, no, it was a, again, it was a decent little cameo from him as well. I think obviously he looks better when he's playing alongside the better players, to be honest with you, which yeah. is which is like all of them, isn't it? And so you know, we've we've been really judging Tillemans on how he's been playing alongside all the other players that are on the fringe of the team, sort of thing. So I think if you stuck Tillemans in, you know, the the first. 11. Like we saw in pre-season, I do think you see a different Yuri Tillemans, to be honest. And so, yeah, fair play to him. He came on and, and he got an assist, and that's all you can really ask for, isn't it? Yeah, a really nice thing yesterday as well was Dean Smith being on the yeah. um, Sky Sports panel. That was really nice. I think I haven't... Obviously, I was at the game, so I didn't see... T- I mean, I've seen the clips on social media and stuff. Um, I think Unai Emery says thank you for everything to Dean Smith, and it's like, this is like this is like the dream. I mean, me and you love Dean Smith. I've met him a couple of times. I speak to his son a little bit. He, he watches the videos and stuff they're just he's such a genuinely lovely man and it's like I think you tweeted didn't you about his sort of the natural sort of progression forget about Steven Gerrard you've got Dean Smith who even he said himself didn't know that he came in and he left Villa in a much better yeah. place than what he found it in yeah. and sort of to go from that to, to Unai Emery it's like the natural progression and it was just brilliant to see it was beautiful wasn't it it was and I love seeing Dean Smith at Villa Park I just find it really wholesome because of how well he did for us and where he, where he mm. found us again and where he took us and he was the perfect manager at that point to try and get all the Villa fans back on, on side he was the perfect manager for it and he did an almighty good job as well um, and yeah like I said on Twitter forget about the bloke that came after him Unai Emery was his real, was his real successor the foundations of Unai Emery's success were built by Dean Smith and his signings at the time yeah. if you, you look at the Villa side now the players that are performing Martinez, Watkins Conza, Douglas Louise you can keep cash you can keep going through and through and, yeah, and yeah. the majority of them were Dean Smith signings um, and so yeah, I love I love Dean Smith. I've got an, an, an almighty amount of respect for him. I think he's a I think he's a good coach. I think he I think he, he had difficult jobs at Norwich and Leicester, to be honest with you. And I don't think that I don't think he probably showed his best in those two jobs. But I think he's a real real good coach as well. Um, and I, I'd like to see him back in football at some point because I do I do think he's he's a good manager. Um, and yeah, it was great to see him. I mean, he got serenaded by the North Stand for literally the entire game yesterday like as he was you know he walked d- back down towards uh, just before half time and then just before full time and everyone was thinking Dean Smith is one of our own and Dean, Dean Smith's Claren Blue Army and he absolutely loved it and then just just the interaction on Sky Sports him interviewing Unai, Unai Emery and the respect that the pair of them have for each other was lovely and then just seeing like John McGinn come out and calling him gaffer on the, on the, on, in the post-match <laughs> and then um, Ollie Watkins I mean Ollie Watkins interview is hilarious if you haven't seen that like watch that I think it's on YouTube on the 
Sky Sports channel, but his interview with Dean Smith after the game is hilarious because, like, Dean Smith, like, you would honestly think, like, Dean Smith was his dad standing next to him, like, literally, like, <laughs> beaming from ear to ear. Like, his grin was hilarious. And, like, there were li- he was, Dean Smith was literally talking like he was his dad. It was, it was really, really <laughs> funny. And I know there's, like, there's a little bit of, like, an inside joke with the Villa players that, like, they all used to wind walking up and say, like, Dean Smith was his dad sort of thing. That's what yeah. they used to say. Uh, there was that story, and he told it on Sky yesterday about how he bought Ollie Watkins that fish tank when, when he signed for Brentford. Oh, Sky love that story, <laughs> don't they? They absolutely love it. But it was just really wholesome. Like, Dean Smith was saying, like, how he, you know, he's only been back for, like, one or two games, that Crystal Palace game when we saw him and he got a mm. really good reception last season yeah. um, and like so he hasn't come back a lot and like I, but he like looking at him there yesterday was he literally in his elements he he just loved it and it's just because he's one of us isn't it and and yeah like you know what he's welcome back to Villa Park at like any time and so for me like it was nice seeing nice seeing them together Smith and uh, Smith and Emery yeah. I just see like I say I see you and I Emery as Dean Smith's natural successor to be honest God, you're going to make me cry, man. Yeah, I love Dean <laughs> Smith. Like, I, I didn't really, obviously, I sit far back in the upper hole, so I didn't really hear any of the sort of Dean Smith songs or any, anything like that. I mean, the whole end sort of sang Dino at the end of the game, whatever. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, we talked earlier, didn't we, about how sort of managers are perfect fits and yeah. Unai Emery's that for Aston Villa. But Dean Smith wasn't that for Leicester. He wasn't that for Norwich. They were both pretty hard jobs to go into so I love Dean Smith he's a great manager and if he gets the right role again he'll, he'll do really really well for a side won't he yeah definitely and as we've already said he's a top top bloke you know local local boy you know from Great Bar you still sometimes see him around Great Bar like I've said it before but like my my mum lives on the same road as his mum and, and mum knows his mum and uh, Hillary and yeah it's just uh it's it's just nice. It's just a local lad, just one of us, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 I was so glad to see him there yesterday. Oh, I love that, love it. Right, should we talk a little bit about Arsenal Alkmaar then? We've got West Ham out of our systems. All attention now turns to Villa back in European action. We make the trip over to the Netherlands on Wednesday night. Uh, fly to Eindhoven, have a night there. Maybe go to a couple of pubs and watch the Champions League if we've got time. Um, and then Thursday morning we get the train up to uh, Alkmaar via Amsterdam. Buzzing for it. Haven't been to uh, the Netherlands for a good while. Never been to Alkmaar, obviously. Um, looks like a nice place. Buzzing for that back on our travels aren't we yeah I'm really looking forward to it yeah it should be a good one it's the one, one I'm looking forward to the most probably as well um, yeah really really looking forward to it um, I haven't I've, I haven't actually been to Holland before I stopped over in Amsterdam really? yeah I I've stopped over in Amsterdam years ago mm. but literally just into the airport when I was flying somewhere yeah. I don't remember where I was flying to now but um, yeah so only in the airport I've never actually been into into the Netherlands itself so yeah looking forward to it taking in obviously out you know obviously we go to Eindhoven because that's where the, the cheap flights were weren't they so 99 Eindhoven off to Altman the next day and then obviously Friday in Amsterdam and heading up to Rotterdam uh, which will be brilliant and then yeah back to Eindhoven so it's, it'll be a busy trip but yeah I'm buzzing for it oh that's why we like it though we, we always love a busy trip don't we I mean throw back to the American tour that was just absolutely non-stop yeah. that's the way we like it um, on that Friday we've got a stadium tour of the Ajax Stadium obviously uh, Feyenoord as well which of course is where Villa won the European Cup in 1982 so that'll be a special moment for us as well never been there before so that'll be good there'll be two videos on the channel as well on Villa on tour obviously 
the normal match day vlog and then I'll probably make a, a sort of vlog of that Friday as well so do stay tuned on the channel for that but it's a big game isn't it it's a very very big game we were talking after the, the Mostar game that all sides in our group are sort of level same goal difference same amount of points now it's sort of reset Alkmaar obviously top seeds in the group going away from home there obviously it's a double header isn't it in, yeah. in Europe now with Alkmaar we've got them um, obviously away this week and then 9th of November they're coming to Villa Park so two games in a row against Alkmaar top seeds in the group big game and I've heard people say that they, they take a draw on Thursday but yeah. I think we've got to go there and win I'd go very very strong and I'd go there to win and I think you will I think there'll be a couple of changes but I don't think there'll be as many changes as what we saw against uh, Legend Warsaw or against Everton in the Carabao Cup I think he'll go fairly strong for this one um because I think you're right. We're lucky it's kind of been reset. The group. We haven't been brilliant so far in the Conference League. We, were, mm. we weren't great against Warsaw. We weren't great against Mostar that night. We probably just about deserved to win, but we weren't great. And we got that late sort of victory. I think because it's been reset a little bit now, this, this is probably our most difficult game, I'd say, Altmar away. So I think mm. we need to be kind of spot on with it. And I think the the two games against Altmar will really, will, will really define, you know, if we if we finish top or whatever now so I think he'll I think he'll go really strong I think a couple of changes will be made but I don't I wouldn't think five or six like we did um, against Leisure Warsaw so interesting one but yeah I, w- I wouldn't take a draw we, we need to go there and, and, and get the win if we go there and get the win then I think Villa are, you know I think I think I'd be fairly I'd be fairly confident about Villa going going on to win the group to be honest if, if we can get the win on Thursday yeah, it'll be massive. And I was thinking about this while I was obviously really busy at work today. I'd probably bring in Leon Bailey for me and then Carlos potentially at the back, but I'd be reluctant probably to do yeah. any more than that. I think because we've got that momentum in the league, we're absolutely flying. And because it's an important game, I think I think you go strong as well. Obviously, we're coming off an international break as well, where, yes, a few of our players went away. The South American lads, what Martinez went to Argentina, whatever. I don't really believe in goalkeepers needing to be rested anyway. But your likes of Diaby, Khan, uh, all yeah, stayed at home. Like McGinn was what was what rested in his second game for Scotland. Kamara only got a little bit of game time. Louise stayed at home, so we're still relatively fresh. So I, I don't really see the point in making wholesale changes like he has done previously. Yeah, and you might see a couple of changes in the Luton game next Sunday. You know, you might do. Like, yeah, we're yeah. Not, I don't want to don't want to pay disrespect to Luton because. Uh, that would be dangerous to do so, but you might see a couple of changes in that Luton game to, to to keep it fresh. But I think he'll go stronger on Thursday. I'm fairly convinced of it. Um, so yeah, it should be uh, it should be an interesting one. Yeah, as you say, Bailey might come in, Carlos. I don't think there'll be many though. Yeah, I think the first goal in this game is absolutely huge. I don't think the sort of atmosphere is going to be anything like what we saw in Warsaw or anything like that. I think Alkmaar in itself, the city is quite small as well. Don't think their fan base is massive. I think you're probably going to see about what twenty thousand yeah. sort of fans at that game. Villa have got what eight hundred, nine hundred. So we'll bring the noise behind that goal, but I don't think it's going to be the same sort of like atmosphere as we've got in Poland as well. So I think that will play a part as well. So I think if we get that first goal. And we can get a win there. That'll be huge. And then again, we go into Luton as well. Like you said, obviously can't guarantee three points there. But you look at it at home as well. I mean, it'd be classic Villa, won't it, to win eleven in a row? And of all teams, <laughs> it'll be Luton to sort of us blow it away. But yeah, I think I, I'm looking forward to it though. Again, European tour. Just forget the football. I'm just buzzing for the trip, mate. As always. Yeah, me too. No, I'm absolutely buzzing for it. I've only got one day of work left tomorrow, so. Uh, well, there's that Tuesday with the day that people listen to. So my last day at work, so I'm absolutely buzzing to break up and uh, head to head to the Netherlands on Wednesday. So it's what it's all about, and it's what it's what we worked so hard for last year in in in, in the league to finish seventh, and yeah, determined to enjoy it as best we can. So yeah, bring it on. 
Absolutely. And if you do want to keep up to date with what we're up to, do follow us both on Twitter, Instagram as well. But of course, do subscribe to Villa on Tour on YouTube. Like I said, there'll be a couple of videos from the Netherlands. So look very much forward to that. So without further ado, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Like I said at the start, please do subscribe to wherever you are taking this podcast in. Leave us some reviews as well. That is always very much appreciated. And without further ado, we should catch you in the Netherlands. Up the Villa. (laughs) 